Hi everyone, how are you? It's uh, a slightly odd experience for me to record this without my partner in crime, but uh, Chris is on assignment. We mean holiday, don't we? Chris is on holiday this week, so it's just solo. We thought it was important to get something out rather than leave you with silence for those of you, the listener, that depends on uh, Wake From Sleep for the news every week. In the light of an Apple event, we thought we should get something out. This will be shorter than usual, just me, which is unusual, and a first for our podcast. But anyway, here we go. This is episode 92 for the 31st of October 2023. Halloween! And Apple heard, held their Scary Fast event from Cupertino in the early hours of the morning for uh, us in the United Kingdom. I think it was about five in the afternoon for those of us in California and about eight-ish, I think, in um, the east coast of America. Quite an unusual event. First one to my memory that they've held at that time, and I read a few articles online saying that it was Apple trying to break into the primetime TV audience. Anyway, let's dive straight in and give a quick summary of the event for our main show. This was, like I said, the early hours of the morning, UK time, well after midnight for me. And there is an, uh, a link in the show notes to apple.com and Apple events, uh, which you can watch the whole thing from beginning to end. It's not very long. It's just less than 30 minutes, I think, where they've run through some of the announcements. I have to say, right up the top, that not the most exciting Apple announcements that I've ever watched, but such is life. You've got, you've got to do these things, haven't you? And, you know, it's good to get the news and it's good to get things updated. They started with the classic Hello Apple logo, which for those of us that are old enough to remember the original Macintosh launch back in the day was the font that they used to have Hello Macintosh right at the beginning, as introduced by Steve Jobs when he pulled uh, the Macintosh out of the bag. It's nice to see that, and I think you can still get it as a screensaver uh, in macOS Sonoma these days. Then we moved to a video of professional people doing professional things, developers, designers, video professionals, researchers, looking at genomes, all that kind of stuff, just showing all the kinds of work that you can do with a Mac laptop, really, and Mac desktops slightly less prominently in the background. But an interesting video, certainly better than the green video that they did with Mother Nature during the last of the iPhone launch event. And then a thought I had as the camera was zooming around was that Apple Park looks really cool at night. They obviously didn't film it last night. It was all pre-recorded, but they were sort of vaguely leaning into their scary, fast, spooky theme by there were some bats and things CGI'd in, I think, from the looks of things as the camera zoomed through it all. And they started Good Evening, and I don't think they should do a Good Evening again, but that's just a, a personal preference for me, really. Tim said, good evening, everyone. I won't try and do an impression of Tim. And immediately went into focusing on the Mac. The Mac was going to be the focus of the, this event, which was what all the rumors said was going to be the case. So we dove straight into that. He said it was going to be about creative people being productive and doing the best work of their lives using a Mac, obviously. I'm not sure how profound that is, but you know, at the end of the day, they need to sell you a laptop. They need to sell you a new desktop. So this is what they went for. He talked briefly about how Apple Silicon was transformative and how it moved the needle really on you know battery efficiency and moving things forward there in power. And I think we can all agree that the Apple Silicon transition has been something of a success. The whole line has now moved and now they're beginning to iterate through that. Behind all this to me is that, as Chris and I have talked about on the podcast, is that the M2 Apple Silicon hasn't been quite the hit that they might have hoped it was. There is some signs the people are quite happy with their M1 Macs, and you know, off the wave of the pandemic, people were certainly very happy with that. Change in power, how much more stylish they made the laptops, they brought ports back, they did everything right. I think there's a lot of people happily sat on their Apple uh, M1 Airs and their Apple Silicon uh, MacBook Pros and iMacs and things like that on M1, wondering, well, I'm in no great rush to update, and the M2 wasn't very compelling. This event was really about the new family of chips, the M3s. So they announced the M3, the M3 Pro, 
and the M3 Max. All down now to the 3 nanometer uh, process, die process, that we saw that is in the iPhone uh, 15, iPhone 15 Pro Max. Tell a lie, it's not in the iPhone 15. That's still in last year's Apple Silicon, but the new ones, the 15 Pro and Pro Max, have moved to this new 3 nanometer process, which should, in many scenarios, lead to better efficiency, more power, and they've added more neural engines and CPUs and GPUs and all this kind of stuff that you'd expect in a chip announcement. And frankly, for the average person on the street, they don't really need to know about that. They just need to know they're going to get better battery life. It's going to be a little bit faster or a lot faster is what they really want to see. And they went through that. This new CPU contains on it because it's silicon on a chip. It has the whole package there. It has GPUs built into it as well. It's got bigger GPU advances, what they particularly leaned into this time. It's very good at caching, apparently. It has dynamic caching uh, for throughput of data. It has built-in hardware ray tracing. And they leaned in a little bit into how great the Mac would be for games now. And they showed Baldur's Gate 3 in one of the demos. And that's fine, but I think, as we talked about on the podcast not that long ago, we know that Linux, particularly the Steam Deck, has now overtaken the Mac as sort of a, a gaming powerhouse i think at one point odd percent of market share that's still a bit of a stretch but i don't think many people are buying m3 max or before just to play games this is a thought really they are pushing on gaming this year they've had the, the, the apple uh, gaming toolkit to try and make this easier for developers building in hardware ray tracing is good i'm not sure it's that great a thing to push on there are lots of mac gamers that would like to play games but Apple has consistently shown they're not great at supporting development of gaming on the platform. It's laudable that they're trying to push this. For me, as a researcher, I am quite interested in how good GPU is for when we're trying to push through machine learning models and things like that. I'll be quite interested in that. Frankly, what you mostly want is a big honking NVIDIA GPU, though, that you can push lots of things through. And most machine learning models are based on one of NVIDIA's technologies called CUDA, that's C-U-D-A. And that's not present on these Macs. I would like to look at a little bit of data on how some of those TensorFlow-type models perform on Apple Silicon, really. But good. It's good that they're still pushing the platform forward. They haven't run out of innovation. Well done, I guess, for getting these out the door. And the M3 does look, in many cases, two times better than, two and a half times better than the M1 Macs. They weren't quite so great at pointing how they compare to M2 Macs, but interesting. The M3 Max goes up to 128 gigs of RAM now, and as they say... 80% faster than the M1 Max, presumably. That is quite an increase. Obviously, you're going to pay through the nose for that particular chip, but there it is. They announced there's going to be a new MacBook Pro. They claimed they had the world's best Pro laptop chips. Not particularly surprising. It seemed, off the top of that, that none of the other hardware had changed. Same speakers, same screen, everything. There might have been a hint that the brightness increases slightly on the screen. It goes up to higher nits level than it did previously. But other than that, it's exactly the same hardware, same form factor, same ports that was there on the MacBook Pro before. They did introduce a new 14-inch M3 base model. More on that later. That has restricted ports compared to the rest of the MacBook Pros and actually signaled the death of the 13-inch touch bar um, MacBook Pro. It's good that that model's gone. It, the, it hung around far too long in the lineup. This 14-inch base model is still quite a lot of money. It has restricted start to 8 gigabytes of RAM. Mm, I'm not entirely sure it's great, but I'm glad that they've moved the whole lineup to the same form factor, at least. All laptops now have active cooling. In the Pro line, at least, the MacBook Air doesn't. And they're claiming that the base model M3 is 60% faster than uh, the M1 Mac. They announced this chip in 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pros in the same form factor, like I said. These ones can drive two external high-res displays, 
as opposed to the base model, which can only drive the one. The M3 Max is two times faster than the M1 Max, apparently. They called this a beast. They actually mentioned other video editors on stage, like DaVinci Resolve and Adobe Premiere Pro. That's quite good. It's not all just Final Cut Pro that see these increases in speed. This particular model, the M3 Max, can drive four high-res displays. And in one of the videos, they show a video editor with three Apple Studio displays in front of him, the laptop open, and then the television behind him. That's really quite a good video setup if you can get it, particularly for people who are editing film or audio or doing things like that. As well as driving four displays, they claim that this new M3 Max Beast gets 22 hours of battery life, which is extremely impressive for such a fast chip. I don't know what metric they're basing that on, but Apple are normally fairly honest about their battery life claims. That's quite a decent upgrade. There was a whole thread through the presentation of get off Intel. And this, they keep saying so much faster than Intel. And if you're still on our Intel Max, this is the improvement and the benefits that you see. I slightly wonder if this is maybe the last year Intel Macs get updates, which would be a real pain for the 2019 Mac Pro. Not been around that long. It would be harsh for them to cut it off. Maybe get one more year, but I think the writing is really on the wall for Apple updates, to, uh, software updates to its Intel hardware. That that ship has sailed. It's time to get off it. And frankly, the Apple, Apple Silicon is an awful lot better. You've heard Chris and I talk about our improvements to our laptops and iPads over time. I had to get an iPad reference in, if you, are, if you are listening, Chris. So that was quite important. And yeah, it's a good upgrade. I'm sure many people listening to the show also have moved to Apple Silicon at this point. And if you haven't, you really should. They're slow, noisy, and not very battery efficient. And that's not a dig at Intel, but they do seem to be sort of losing uh, their way when it comes to these things. And there's a little story on that later too. As stated, no other hardware changes other than that, except, importantly to some people maybe, in the higher spec chip uh, versions of the MacBook Pro, not the base model. You can specify it with a new color. This new color is space black. There's been a lot of space black over the years in phones and, and laptops before. It looks gray. It looks like, yes, another gray. And as with the uh, iPhone 15 Pros, it's just another variant of gray. Comes with black cables too. I guess the Proist of all MacBook Pros is the black one? I don't really know. But uh, as I say, only available with the Pro and Max chips. And yeah, it looks pretty cool. But my M1 MacBook Pro, which is the 16-inch one, is now showing a bit of chipping around the USB-C ports where I've missed with the power cable putting that in or data transfers. I slightly worry that if that finish is similar to the one that's on this space black version, maybe that chipping would be even more evident on that. It's certainly something to keep an eye on, but yeah, it looks pretty cool. Why wouldn't you want the black one, I guess, if, as, a, as a new color option in the line? And again, if they can do this at the expensive end, why can't the MacBook Air get some nice bright colors as well? That was it for the laptops, really. They showed some game demos, like I said. You got a slight nod towards uh, the XDR display within the laptop, but other than that, no, signif no significant new hardware in these laptops. It's $1,599 for the 14-inch, and the 16-inch starts at $2,499, which is the same price as, as, as it was before. It's a little bit cheaper for the 14-inch, but I think that's that new cheap base model. They also introduced a new 24-inch iMac with M3. No, obviously, upgrades to the chips at time of launch for this that they announced at this point. Comes in the same colors as it did before. There was, again, the not-so-subtle please upgrade from Intel message, more or less written in caps and flashing on the screen. They claimed that this new iMac had an enormous amount of screen real estate, which I think is a bit of a stretch for a 24-inch computer. It will be available at $1,299 and is available next week. Uh, not an awful lot of changes to this device other than the chips that are in there. 
I think it's good that they're continuing to offer it. They did specifically stay on, say on stage that this is the 24-inch iMac, so that leaves a little bit of hope that there'll be a 27-inch iMac at some point, and who knows, maybe someday another iMac Pro too. I think this is good. I'm glad they're supporting it. They have upgraded the Wi-Fi chip in this as well. It goes from Wi-Fi 6 to Wi-Fi 6E, so that's a slightly faster spectrum. That's a bit more power through it. Of course, you've got to upgrade, upgrade your home network to get those kinds of changes too. And that was it, really. I think you can specify a new slightly bigger SSD in it as well. You can go opt for a 2TB SSD, whereas the 1TB was only available on the M1. Everything else untouched. The design, the colors, the same webcam, same six-speaker six speaker system, three mic array, two Thunderbolt 4 ports. Base model is 8 gigs of RAM and 256 gigs of SSD, which is unacceptable. And the worst news of the night, the Magic Mouse and the Magic Keyboard still come with a lightning port. I think we were all expecting Apple to upgrade the accessories to be USB-C now. The ones on the iMac at least are nicely color matched with the cables matching the trackpad and the mouse and the keyboard that comes with it. But yeah, I'm quite surprised with this. I suspect somewhere there's a large mice and trackpads that Apple have in surplus that they're just going to clear out of the range before they move on to this. Disappointing the accessories. I'm glad they upgraded the iMac. It's good that they're upgrading the laptops in this sort of cadence. For those of us who lived through the awful years of Apple laptops from the um, when the touch bar was originally introduced with the terrible keyboards, we never thought we'd get frequent laptop upgrades like this. I hope they maintain the same sort of cadence with the airline as well. It needs to happen. And then, of course, there's the studio, the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro, which is also probably not very long for this world. And that was it. Like I say, less than 30 minutes. They hit all the points very quickly. The spooky thing wasn't particularly leaned into. I mean, I feel they could have you know, worn some outfits or something and dressed it up a little bit. The nice little bit to finish the event um, was that the entire thing had been filmed on an iPhone 15 Pro. 15 Pro Max, presumably, to give them some of the zooms and things that they did. Lots of special effects applied to it too, but that was really nice. I think the quality of the video that can be captured by iPhone 15 Pros is extremely impressive. And to see it in an event like this, rather than whatever professional cameras they were using before, I couldn't see any difference in quality. And if you take the time to watch the video, I'll skip through the video. The Verge quite often do quick recaps of what's been announced at these things. And uh, maybe next week I'll put that in the show notes as well if you want a, a faster zip through this. But yeah, quite a good event. I will do a couple of quick news stories in the absence of Chris, because he can't speak back to me uh, at this point, particularly about his beloved BMW. So I'll quickly move on to the news. A story from BMW and Apple, and Apple have explicitly said that BMW wireless chargers really are messing with iPhone 15s. Apple claims an update is coming for this to keep the BMW and Toyota Supra wireless chargers from disabling the NFC chips in your iPhone. For many people using BMWs, this could potentially be their car key as well. Or you could hop out of your car to buy your new iPhone and you could find that it was nuked. This, this isn't great, really. There's a, tw a tweet or an X uh, from BMW UK replying to a customer. Thanks to your post, this topic is being investigated together with Apple. We can't offer a time frame, but we hope to get an update soon. That's Apple acknowledging the issue and BMW acknowledging the issue. It's the first time I'd heard of Toyota having a similar thing, only with a supermodel it would seem. But don't put your iPhone on a Toyota Supra or a recent BMW NFC charger, uh, a wireless charger in your car if you want to continue to work afterwards. Actually nuking hardware through a wireless charger is a real worry. I will be interested if Chris has anything to say about his story or if maybe he's been affected by it with his fancy BMW and nuking his um, iPhone's NFC chip. Really not a great story. And in a similar line, and because I like to get the odd bit of Welsh interest into uh, the podcast from time to time as well, 
Uh, I'm not a Welsh speaker, but I approve thoroughly of people who can speak the language and maintaining it. There's a story or a, a toot from Steve Lochran on Mastodon complaining that BMW cars and their uh, adaptive speed limit re reading system, where when you drive along, the car can recognize the speed, speed limit signs approaching, particularly important in Wales as we have a new 20 mile an hour speed limit, is that it can't understand Welsh words. The example given in the toot is he says it's not a hypothetical issue. But in June in South Wales, he'd set the car to no more than eight miles per hour above the speed limit. You shouldn't have been speeding anyway, Steve. It's all good on the 60 mile an hour roads until you get to Glen Grooney. I'll have said that wrong. I do respect the Welsh language though. It sees a 20 miles per hour in 200 clath, which is yards, sign and immediately breaks hard down to 30 miles per hour. It can't make that translation. Welsh isn't a big language, but if you're going to sell cars in this part of the world, then it should be able to adapt and read the languages spoken in the nation. I think this is something BMW need to uh, figure out, really. Uh, it does make me wonder what other cars struggle with this as well. I know Ford have this. I know my Tesla has this. It hasn't struggled with this. It just reads the speed limit sign rather than sort of everything around it. It's not affected by the fact that there's Welsh language on the sign. Two hits against BMW this week, really, but um, I'm sure they'll probably fix it. So link to that in the show notes. The next story is about Google. We now have a figure. The amount of money that Google spent on making on partnering with companies to make Google the default search engine. We know that they spent $26.3 billion in 2021 to be the default search engine everywhere. That's paying Apple, Firefox, and presumably device integrators as well that put Android smartphones and things out. That's a huge amount of money. Apparently, 18 billion of this has gone straight to Apple. And all this is forming part of the antitrust trial against Google. It was interesting this, uh, last night in America that, well, in the, in the afternoon in America, last night in the UK, Sundar Pichal, who is the chief executive of Google, more or less claimed that these kinds of things are just the cost of doing business. It's not Google being particularly evil. It's not them doing anything. It's just what you've got to do in the modern world of tech to keep your company's dominance and where it is and, and move on. And it's what Microsoft did when they were in charge. And it's kind of what we see Apple doing in terms of the app store and the way that it uh, operates it's an interesting perspective, but this is vast amounts of money just to maintain your dominant position in search. It's down to a, a you know a, a trial to judge whether these things are antitrust or not. But it is just staggering the sums that pass between Google and people it wants to do to keep on top. I mean, it is interesting. Moving on, a couple of Apple stories and also involving money, but not as significant as, as billions of dollars. Apple have announced that Apple TV Plus is getting a price hike, and so is Apple Arcade, Apple News Plus, Apple One, all going up in price. Apple Music, Apple Fitness, and iCloud Plus are currently spared, but the prices are going, and I'll quote the dollar prices here. The UK ones will be more or less the same, because they have been matched recently. An individual Apple One tier is now $19.95, previously $16.95, so up $3. Family has gone up from $22.95 to $25.95. And the Premier, that's the one that includes Fitness Plus, has gone from $32.95 to $37.95. So a bit more of an increase on the Premier one. And this taken in light of all the other increases we're seeing with Netflix and Disney Plus and everything, there is a real push towards companies increase, uh, increasing the cost of their subscription services. This is quite a lot, and it's only been one year since Apple actually upgraded the costing on all the things. This is something to keep an eye on. There is value. I, I pay for the Premier one for uh, all the accounts in my household. There is definitely value in this, although as I look at it, News Plus is not worth the money. 
and there's probably bits of the I very rarely use Fitness Plus, so all the other members of my family do. Yeah, they want to be quite careful with this, I think. Apple TV Plus is currently worth it. There's enough shows on Apple TV Plus to keep watching it. But my Netflix subscription, as hinted at a couple of weeks ago, is in danger of going. And it wouldn't take many more things within this Apple subscription to make me think, yeah, I don't really know that it's worth it. And then maybe start swapping out bits and pieces of, of the Apple subscription for other things or, or rolling my own at home. Tricky thing, I guess, is that you become quite reliant on the services. And then when I talked about before about moving from Spotify to uh, back to Apple to, uh, Music, that was quite a pain point to actually go from one to the other. You lose your playlists, you lose those kinds of things. The whole walled garden lock-in thing is very much part of these calculations when you think about leaving services. But these are becoming quite a lot of money, really, for these services, taken all together with all these subscriptions ongoing, ongoing. And I'm not saying there's not value there, but... I think the market will only bear so much subscription. Although after you've just dropped £1,100 on a smartphone, maybe not. Second story about Apple uh, for us this week is Apple Private Wi-Fi. This was a technology that was built into uh, iOS a few years ago where Apple claimed they were going to hide the Mac address. That's not the Mac, as an Apple Mac, but the um, Mac network identifier of your smartphone. And apparently this has never really worked. This media access control hasn't been hidden in the way that it claimed it was. There's a whole bunch of hacking can be done around this due to a bug in MDNS Responder, if you want to get into the details, which is part of Apple's auto-discovery protocol that used to be called Bonjour. This bug was identified three years ago, and it's still present now. There's a little YouTube video and a link on the register about this that might be worth having a look at, but Apple private Wi-Fi, not so private Wi-Fi, it would seem. So that's something that they need to fix. In related Apple news, and this sort of leans into Google slightly, is that you can now set YouTube Music to be the default music device on your HomePod. I think this is a good change. For a long time, we've had uh, the ability to pick a different email client or web browser on the iPhone. Well, I say web browser, browser, there's still Safari under the hood, but you can at least set other default apps for some scenarios on your iPhone from what that launches. And now you can set your default music device to be YouTube. I think that's a good thing. It provides choice. My home pods are switched off. I was listening to the Accidental Tech podcast this week, and Mark Warman's home pods are also switched off. So they may have more of a problem than just being able to set the default music service. But I think it's good that you can do this kind of thing. And I wonder if I'll come to the phone that you can set the default music device at some point to be Spotify or YouTube Music or something like that. A little article, article on 9to5Google, not something we often link to, but uh, if you're a YouTube music fan and you get that as part of your subscription and you have a home pod, that's an ever decreasing circle, I think, you can now set it as default. A little bit of Microsoft news for us this week, and because I like to report on this kind of stuff from time to time, as well as injecting ads. Why are you leaving us? Why are you leaving us? If you try and download Google Chrome within Windows, when you do that, you now actually get a poll injected into into Microsoft Windows by Microsoft asking why it is you're leaving. The article on The Verge, which is linked to, is definitely worth a scroll through. There are a number of steps documented. The first one is when you search for Chrome download within Microsoft, you come up with a, there is no need to download a new web browser. You already have Microsoft Edge. The second thing, when you click download Chrome, it inserts a pop-up saying Microsoft Edge runs on the same technology as Chrome, but the added trust of Microsoft. Hmm. And then it clicks, you can click browse securely now, or the close button is obviously in the usual place. And if you persist, you then get the poll pops up going, we love having you. Please take a minute and tell us why you're trying another browser. And the options are, I can't search Google easily. I can't access my Google documents. I don't have my favorites or passwords here. Too many ads and pop-ups. 
Well, Microsoft, I think you just answered that one yourself. I don't like the news feed, it's too slow. My websites don't work on Microsoft Edge. My reason is not listed. You then even get a fourth step where once it's downloaded and you get the usual Chrome, thanks for downloading, you still have the Microsoft Edge runs on the same technology as web banner at the top of the page. And another little thing saying recommended steps for keeping Microsoft Edge. Yeah, this is two years old that Microsoft have been doing this. They injected ads earlier this year, and the poll part is new. They really, really want you to stay with Edge, don't they? And Chris at this point would jump in and say, he likes Edge, he thinks it's a good browser, but this isn't really acceptable to keep shoving this stuff in your face when you're making a choice to go to another browser on an operating system that you've paid for, for them to keep doing this. I think this is, I'll use my favorite word again, fairly egregious. And a last story from Tech This uh, week before I leave you alone and you can get back to your days without having to listen to me drone on you is that Intel stock has stumbled on a report that Nvidia is building an ARM CPU for the PC market. So this is a big deal. AMD, Nvidia are known for making GPUs, not CPUs, and they're making an ARM one, which, you know, all the Apple Silicon stuff that we've been talking about primarily in this show is based on, they're all ARM chips, is could potentially be a big deal for the market. AMD are also made, said to be looking at one, and there's been reports in the last um, couple of days that the Snapdragon chip, chip made by Qualcomm is also going to become a, a, G, a CPU for potentially PC-based devices. All of these companies are absolutely eating Intel's lunch. And if we, the story we talked about last week, where Intel hadn't really made a speed increase in their current generation of i5 and i7 and i9 core chips, this has got to be a real concern for them. Apple have demonstrated it's entirely possible to move to a new architecture without it being a problem. Microsoft have an ARM-based Windows, kind of, waiting in the wings, um, which with a little bit more software support will probably run most Windows-based apps very easily. There are lots of ARM CPU stuff in the server market. You can quite easily get Debian and Ubuntu and other builds uh, of Linux that will run happily on those with a few packages that are behind, but that just needs a bit of software attention. And then you're going to be able to move on. Intel should be really concerned about this, I think, that you know there is a potential future for them where they have less and less market dominance. And as Chris said last week, they make lots of things. It's not just these chips, but they're a huge company and they've been such a stock in trade of the of the tech industry for such a long period of time. This is a real worry. And yeah, as I said last week, they've been here before. But I think this is concerning times for Intel that all these other, what would have been partners once upon a time, or, or certainly minnows compared to the size of Intel, who made so many chips at such scale for so many years, are beginning to really have that sort of dominance tested by the introduction of this next generation, more power efficient, better for your battery, actually just faster in many cases generation of chips it's interesting times and that's all i've got for you this week folks normal service will hopefully be resumed next week and i hope you have a good week hopefully chris will be back and we'll all be good if you want to get in contact with us i'm at g5maniac at mastodon.scot chris is at underscore cjp at mastodon.social and you can always drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com and we'll talk to you next week mm-hmm.